appreciate them. And tonight, I want Brother Brandon Newcomer, our student pastor, to come and open his heart in the word of the Lord. And as he comes, would you make them feel very, very welcome tonight as they come to preach the word of the Lord to us. We love you. Take your liberty. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? I'm not worthy, but he is. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I always want to return honor because obviously I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my pastor. If it wasn't for the man of God in my life, his family, our assistant pastor and their family, we're a blessed church. I know this month is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I know we'll, we'll take our time the rest of this month to give honor and to give due to our pastor, but I want to make sure that they know that the youth and our student ministries love our pastor. They love our, our, our assistant pastor, the families. Amen? We are so blessed. There is nothing that compares to our leadership and our church. Not me, but what we have ahead of us, what we always look up to. I thank God for our pastor. Amen? Amen. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Also want to thank our parents. Amen. I know I speak into our young people's lives every week, but really we're just a reflection of what you guys do every day. I thank you, parents. You're raising up men and women of God. That means the world to me. It makes my job easier because they know what to believe. They're praying at home. I can feel it in, in our young people. There's a growth and a desire for more of God. You don't find that everywhere. You don't find that everywhere. And I thank God uh, for what he's doing through our young people, through our parents, and through our church. Amen? I won't keep you standing forever. Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, speaks of a time where Joshua was just, in my opinion, getting his feet wet. I know it's Joshua 20, but <laughs> by all means, there were some things that still need to be set up. And so I want to read... Uh, just four verses, and then I'm going to go to 2 Samuel 18, verse 26. It says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. And this is probably the New King James Version, so if it's slightly different, it's just easier for me. It says, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of that city, he declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place and he may dwell among them. And then 2 Samuel eighteen twenty six. Then the watchman saw another runner, and he called down to the gatekeeper, Look, another man running alone. I want to I preface this just for a moment, if you'll just give me a moment. Last week when the Lord used Brother Gentry to send a word to the watchman and to us to be watchmen, I felt God give me a word for tonight about the gatekeeper. And I don't know about you, I'm glad the Lord wants multiple things from people. Uh, while some are watching the wall, some need to man the door and the gate to the city. 
I'll be honest, I questioned myself. I, I felt like I don't want to just piggyback or feel like I need to add to what was said, but uh, I didn't want it to feel as though uh, he wasn't anointed in any way because what a message we heard last week. I waited and I began to ask God, are you sure? And he responded with almost nothing to say is I'm not giving you anything else. <laughs> so yes, I'm sure. So I hope you know tonight, I hope you know that I feel as though the Lord would have me to speak nothing else but to call you to the gate. So tonight, as we go before the Lord in prayer, I want to call us to be a gatekeeper. It's a place where the watchmen call when somebody is running toward the city. Can we pray tonight? Lord, have your way, God. Lord, you, you, you know all things, God. You see absolutely everything. Lord, you know uh, every breath that's taken on this earth, God. I pray you have your way tonight, Lord. Have your way in this word. I feel you've given me, Lord. I pray you would anoint me from head to toe. Touch my mouth, Lord. Let it speak with clarity, God, and with anointing, Lord. I want your word to go forth, God. Have your way in this church and this week as we enter another youth week, God. Don't let us just be another day, Lord, but let us truly be changed from young to old, Lord, front to back, God. Let your will be done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give a hand to the Lord tonight as you're seated? Amen. The times of Joshua, as, as Israel was becoming a nation, God instructed him to build these cities of refuge. And I might jump all over the place a little bit, but I promise I'll wrap it up in a nice package if you'll just bear with me. Is that all right? My wife said, make sure you go deep. And I said, okay. <laughs> it's not that I won't, but sometimes I always, I always question myself. I want to make sure that what I say is truly on point and of God. And so they appointed six cities. And if you ever look on the map, you could look it up on Google today to see where these cities of refuge were located. And they were spread out almost evenly throughout the nation of Israel. So anybody that needed a place of safety could go to these cities. They say that if they call them the slayer, if you were somebody that accidentally killed uh, uh, somebody, you could run as fast as you could to this city of refuge. That means people chased you. People were after you. They were going to have judgment. It was still eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But if you made it to that city of refuge, things were changed. And, and you would go before the elders and the kings and, and things were different. And the funny thing that I find about these cities is even though they had gates, the rules of these cities were to remain open at all times. It's not like the sun went down, the gate goes down. It was a period of time if they weren't in war, the gates remained open as a place for people to run as a city of refuge. They were always, if they were ever in need or ever in uh, 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 seeking something, that they could run to those cities. So tonight, I'm calling us to be a gatekeeper where the gates never close. And to be honest, that doesn't make much sense. But again, hang on, I'll get there. I want to talk about these cities. These cities throughout the Bible represented the grace of God. The first city was Kadesh. It represented righteousness. It was a refuge for the unclean, while Shechem uh, represented or was interpreted the shoulder, a city uh, for the one that was lost in the wilderness of sin. Hebron was the fellowship, a refuge for a lonely sinner, while Bezer was a fortress. It was a refuge for the helpless sinner. Ramoth represented heights, a refuge for the wretched sinner, while Golan was a place of joy which was called a refuge for the downcast. There was something about these cities that made it 
essential in that time period to remain open and willing to accept anyone and everyone that came. It was up to the elders or to the kings. It was up to the, the ones in charge to really rain judgment. But for everyone else, it was to just accept. Bring them in. It was a place of help, of safety. I don't know about you, but the first rule tonight I want to go over, the first thing about being a gatekeeper is for God to keep the gates of the city open for people that are running to it for safety. If we're to be the church of God and gatekeepers in His kingdom, the first thing we must do is be open to people seeking a place of refuge. It's, it means that all unclean, all that are lost in the wilderness, the lonely, the helpless, the wretched sinners, the, the ones that are downcast, all need to be able to have a place to call their church and their city. How many of us came from another city, running with everything left, hoping we could just get in the door just to find a place of refuge? I know I might be more spiritually speaking, but sometimes I felt that. I, didn't, I wasn't born and raised here. I felt this place as a refuge. That's how a church should be. This is still a hospital. This is still a place where we're going to have to vacuum up some sins that people lay before the Lord from time to time. Stuff we don't understand why they're throwing down addictions and different things and they might get smashed up in the carpet or leave remnants. It's up for us not to judge or to say, wow, get out. But it's up to us to just say, come in. Come into the city of refuge. Some people have turned everywhere else in life, but they need to find a place and they know that if they come here that this should be a place of refuge. I'll make it plain, if you're a guest or maybe you're just new or you don't understand some things, I want you to feel this house as a house of refuge. I look across this place, I see some that are hurt, some I know stories, some I have no idea where you came from. But if you're looking for something, if you're sick or broken or at the end of your rope, this is still a place where you can be safe. This is still a place where you can have salvation. You can still find peace. In this city of refuge, we've heard countless stories uh, of people knowing that God uh, didn't intervene or he, if he didn't intervene at certain moments of their life, that 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 would be it. That'd be the last day. And we've heard stories of people that have come into this church even where, uh, you know, we used to have testimony periods where you just hear the, the horrific lifestyle they were in where drugs would keep them bound and, and certain spirits or certain uh, lifestyles and addictions would bind them. And they knew if they didn't have change They'd have to end it if nobody else did. I don't know about you, but I thank God for this place of refuge. Tonight I'm calling us to be gatekeepers. And if we were to listen last week to the watchman and to hear pulling people out, we need to understand as gatekeepers to open the doors and to let those come in that are looking for a place to call home. We can't be closed off to what God is wanting to do in this city and in our region. We must keep the doors to this city of refuge open. As a gatekeeper, I want to say I am, I am so glad, and I alluded to this a moment ago, I am so thankful that it's God's to decide what to do with people. It's not my choice. I don't have to worry about it. In fact, the Bible said the elders were called, and they would be the ones to decide what happened and would we accept them into this place all they ask us to do, and again, what I'm asking tonight is, 
as a gatekeeper, because we're going to get there. I, I, I'm going to challenge you to accept a, a ministry of gatekeeping. And it won't be for everybody, but for some, it will be what you need to do. And here's one of the things you need to be as a gatekeeper, and that's full of love. I question myself sometimes, do I love enough? I don't need to be harboring things. I need to love. The Bible talks about it. it you know, it says, uh, uh, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Love is what we need to be as gatekeepers. We must be full of love. The truth is, as we move further into a role of a gatekeeper, some of you might be saying, why gatekeeper? Why man the gate? The first thing you said is to keep it open. But the second thing that the psalmist wrote in Psalms 84, 9 and 10, it said, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper, and some versions say a gatekeeper, in the house of my God, than to dwell in the tents of wicked. So whether gatekeeper or doorkeeper, in the house of the Lord... That's what he said. I'd rather spend a day. I'd rather just I'd rather be a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper than to dwell. And so I began to dig a little bit. I wanted to find out what does a psalmist mean when he says that I'd rather uh, a man a door or a gate than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, at face value, we see who wants to be in the tents of the wicked. Nobody. That's not a place you want to you end up. You don't want to end up dwelling with evil and, and things that are, 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 are disunified and, and full of hate and full of all these things. You don't want that in your life, so that's easy. But when I began to dig a little deeper, I began to notice that it's more than just the farthest place. Because he could have said anything. That's what, when I, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm normal when I think, but... He could have said, I'd rather be the Lord's dog walker than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Or he said, I'd rather be a gesture or I'd rather be, you know, a window washer than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. But he chose a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper. So when he says it in verse 10, it's more than a position far from the Lord, because that's the first thing I think is when I think of a gatekeeper, I think of a dude that stands at the wall. The king's way in there, but I'm over here at the gate. And so it's, it's equivalent to being as far away as possible, but still being apart. It's a lonely job. That's what people view the gatekeeper as. Uh, and, and, and I want to change our minds for that. It's, it's, it's a job that people think nobody wants. It's far from the action, but it truly is a position of importance. It says that if you are a doorkeeper, when you take the word back to the original Hebrew, it's defined as a keeper of the threshold. It's one who protects the city and the house. I'm a fast preacher, so thank God for that. Amen. But the second call to gatekeepers is to protect the walls, the fences, and the boundaries that have been set. Robert Frost once said, don't tear down a fence until you know why it was put up. And I feel God never called us to build doors or gates. He's called us to build walls and to build fences and hedges and boundaries in our life. But to man, the gates that he has built, God builds the gates. Sometimes adults and youth alike, I know it's youth week, so allow me to speak to the youth for just a moment and, and you can listen in. Is that all right? We're so quick to put doors and fences that have been placed for us. Sometimes... 
people help lead us there. Typically, nobody knows necessarily what sin is until you've been introduced to it. You, you don't know right from wrong until it begins to be trained and taught in you. And uh, you might know, uh, never know that, uh, you know, addictions are wrong. And you might never be exposed to them, some of these things until they're brought to your attention. So even though I talk to them, the truth is we've had things in our lives where uh, gates have been placed where fences should be. <laughs> I hate the fact that we put up a facade. And, and I, I preach to myself sometimes where everything looks good. You've got your walls built. You're good to go. But if you'll just take a little left over the bend and around the corner, there's my gate. Because I can get out of everything that looks to be all Pentecostal and all holy and all righteous. But I can sneak in and out. I want to say that it's not for us. Uh, uh, to, to build uh, uh, gates by any means, but it's for us to man them. Second Corinthians 6 and 17, it says, uh, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. And I believe the problem is we allow others to be gatekeepers because this one, this second step is about you and about me. It's about keeping the gates of our own family and our own church there are times where, yes, we want those that need to come in, but other things come to attack, and that's a time where we've got to stand at the threshold and guard the gate. There comes a time where you must be uh, willing to stand up for holiness. You've got to stand up for righteousness. It is about doing what the Bible says and to be true, to be baptized, to get the Holy Ghost. Amen? I don't know about you. I still believe those things. I don't believe that that doctrine changes or fluctuates. I believe it's forever true and settled in heaven. That's what I think about God. Even in 1 Chronicles, here's the thing. So many people will wait on mom and dad to, to, to do it right or to make sure that they stand in the gap. But when you read the rules of a gatekeeper in, in 1 Chronicles 26, it flat out says age is of no regard. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It is up to us to stand at the threshold. It is up to me to make sure that I keep myself for Him pure and separate. Uh, the church, uh, God doesn't care how old, how young. You are a gatekeeper. It's not for your spouse to raise a standard. Uh, it's not for your parents uh, to get it together. But it should be for uh, everyone that allows uh, their, their, their lives to be um, used of God and those that want to be in a place of, of righteousness and goodness and holiness. When I began to look deeper, something came to mind. There's times where I feel that God speaks to me and, and, and I'll begin to connect the dots. I'm, I'm a guy that loves Jeopardy, so I get these weird tidbits of information and you know I'll, I'll be able to answer the weirdest questions in the world from time to time. And so I began to think about the threshold and I it instantly brought me back to marriage, and, and I thought, why do we carry a bride across the threshold? <laughs> why? And I began to research, and it brought everything together. This is where, if you can just go with me for just a moment, I'm not getting out of the Word. Don't get it wrong, but just follow me for just a moment. They say that the husband is to carry the bride across the threshold. It was an old tradition. It was to leave the bride looking blameless for the, the consummation of marriage. It left the bride blameless, and it made the groom look as though he took her. We are to stand in the door, in the gate, 
and to be a guard of what everything that is precious that we hold true. It's to keep the bride safe until that thief that comes in the night or that the Lord which comes as a thief in the night comes and takes his bride away. It's up to us. We have to be the ones that hold this truth so this church has no diminishing qualities or factors or falls off the end. We must be ones that stand for what's right. He said in Ephesians 5 that he might present himself, uh, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy uh, without blemish. We must protect what we know to be true. Families, for the love of all that is good and holy, we must protect the fences and the things that have been set in our lives that keep us from sin. Even in the Old Testament, when Moses went up to the mountain, it said, set fences and boundaries so that you can't cross, so that you won't perish because many would if you would just not set those boundaries. And they begin to set fences. There's nothing wrong with having things that you can't do in life. We call it a standard, but it's all based in the Word of God. Some things might not make sense to you, but for the sake of others, we don't do them. I'm not here to preach on standards. <laughs> Amen. And the third role, and this is the one I want to boil it all down to tonight. The third role of a gatekeeper is to allow the things of God out. This, in my opinion, is the most important of a gatekeeper's ministry. You see, all of us are gatekeepers in some way, but some are gatekeepers for the church. In fact, we don't realize that this is a ministry all in itself. Some people are waiting to be asked to do something, or maybe you're just waiting to get involved, or uh, you, you desire to be a part of this, that, and the other. And the truth is, God is speaking to some of you, simply be a gatekeeper. Doesn't mean don't get involved. We always need help and all that sort of thing. But to some of you, maybe you're not able to be a, a Sunday school teacher, Maybe you're not able to help out with youth ministry or, or maybe the greeting team or the ushering. You say, maybe that's not all for me, but what can I do? I, I still want to serve God. Be a gatekeeper. And that simply means that when the gatekeeper is in tune with the king, it can open up all of heaven by simply worshiping. These are young people, saints, elders. The Bible said age did not matter, that uh, we feel the Lord push them in service beyond what seems normal and watching God move in that service. Tonight, I watched the crowd because I was going to set you up with questions at the very beginning. I didn't do it. <laughs> but I was going to begin to ask, how many of you felt like if you went home right now, you've been in church? And I'm sure we'd get some claps, but then I'm sure some would be like, well, maybe not yet. And simply the difference between making you feel like you've been in church and not is when the people respond by opening the Spirit of God. It belongs to us to be gatekeepers. You're called to worship. Before the first note is played, it's somebody that has spent time with the king, touching his throne, asking him to use us. There's a time of prayer. This is a thing of preparation. I'm not asking us to be weird or, or goofy or just run across the front constantly every service. That's not it. But when you're in tune with God, when somebody's next to you that might not understand or might say, this is still awkward to me, you're just in the presence and you understand what God wants to do next. It's offering ourselves as a vessel for Him. 
Being a gatekeeper is being willing to be used of God. For every simple task. Hold the doors open. People are coming. Shut the doors. We need to keep this truth safe. Or open them back up because I need to move. It's imperative that we do what God asks. Uh, When the music starts, no matter how you feel, you become a worshiper, a gatekeeper. It shows that uh, if if that's your plan, I hope you change from from being a show to being authentic. Uh, It's got to be something that's inside of you. If you start out doing it to be seen, so be it. Uh, It's not my will. It's not what I want. But if that's what you choose, so be it. But I pray that the show becomes authentic. I pray that if people just want, and, and trust me, we get uh, uh, new people from time to time, and they just have no inhibitions about worship. I watch my babies in the row, and they'll just dance crazy. And that's how I feel sometimes new saints, you know, and, and I'm not ripping on anybody, but I love it when they come in, and they'll just, they'll just lose themselves. And it's like, well, who taught them? <laughs> and where am I? Why do they do that? And why am I so bound? Why do I feel like I can't? Let me burst your bubble for a moment. Is that all right? The singers are asked to lead in worship. But the fact is that singers and gatekeepers are not the same thing. Back to the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, it talked about, and it had rules where they would uh, pay people or whatever. They, they were pay, uh, paid positions throughout the city. The guards, the gatekeepers, the singers, everything. And so many times you would see where they would gather up singers and gatekeepers. Singers have their role. And nobody says they can't help with the gate. But it's not always up to the singers to ask God to move. It's not up to singers for God to have just a a flowing spirit out here where everything is open and everything is changed. You guys hear me? It, it, It doesn't just because you are or aren't in the choir doesn't mean that you can't impact the service. The problem is people are coming in this place and they're sitting next to us and they're simply whispering, God, if you're just real, if you're real enough, would you just show me? God, this is it. I don't have anywhere else to turn. Would you just please allow me to see you or to hear you? And we get in that moment where we're just tired, right? We have excuse, And that's the thing. Don't get it twisted that thinking a gatekeeper needs to just jump and shout. It is so deep. Worship is so much more than those things. Worship is adoration. Oftentimes when they uh, interpreted the word worship in the Bible, it was uh, to fall down and to bow. Adoration, admiration, it was all of those things. It wasn't all about jumping and dancing and hanging off chandeliers. That is part of it. But it's so much more than that. Don't feel like, well, I don't have the energy for it. It's up to me. He asked, why don't they open the gates of heaven and, 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 and why don't we just let the Spirit pour out? And people will wonder that. My question is simply, why don't we get serious about God and about people that are needing something next to us? Global Missions Director Bruce Howe was once asked, where do you get all the energy to worship like that? How many of you even know who I'm talking about? He's our Global Missions. This dude, watch him. If you ever watch a big conference and you're like, who's that guy? And he's just everywhere. That's probably Bruce Howe. It's just everywhere. And so he gets asked, where, where do you get the energy? Man, if I just had energy like that, I'd worship the way you do. If it was just like that. And he goes, you know what? Here's the truth. You know where I get my energy? I don't. He goes, I don't have it. But if I worshiped how I felt, I'd worship like you. That hit me too. <laughs> that hit me too. 
He says, I can't afford not to worship my God the way I do. And he's accepted, and it's a changed mindset that I must worship no matter what. You might say again, I can't leap, I can't dance, but to research out worship, it says they bowed. They showed reverence, and they showed adoration. It's not how you do it, it's just that you have to do it. It's important tonight when I say I call you to be a gatekeeper, and young people, I speak specifically to you. When I call you to the ministry of gatekeeping, it is truly keeping three essentials of being an apostolic Pentecostal Christian. It's to love. It's to allow people that aren't like us, people that might not have it all together, or they might have a past, or you might even know their history, and it's things that we can't explain. It's not our call. Do you realize they went straight to the elders? They didn't stop and ask the gatekeeper, what do you think? Can I come in? They just made sure the gates were open. Someone's coming. That's what it said in 2 Samuel. The watchman called to the gatekeeper. Someone is still running for us. It wasn't a call of safety. If you look back through it, it was a call of information. People want to have a, a place that's open and ready to accept uh, sinners or whoever you want to call them, the lost, the hungry, into a church. It matters. It matters that we are ready for that. When he says dance, I want to dance. When he says get lost in worship, I want to be the gatekeeper that hears his voice. I want to be the one that knows his spirit and knows which way it flows. I want to know his voice. I want to see what he wants to do in every single situation. I love playing bass, and I know that's my little spot up here or whatever, but we've got like five bass players in the church, and I am not one of those guys that has to play. I thank God for that. I hope that's public because I don't want to be up here so much that I forget how to worship. I don't want to be so tied to something that I forget truly my calling for God. It is to worship. My question tonight is who will answer the call to man the gate? As the music comes, I have one story I want to share that happened during my lifetime, and I, I, I never paid much attention to it until about a week or two ago. It was brought to my attention. There was this guy uh, named Ryan Barrett, and I know at least a couple of people in here know exactly who he is. When he was in high school, my brother started uh, high school a year or two after him, so Ryan was a sophomore or a junior when Jeremy was a freshman, and they were in marching band together, and they all were part of the saxophone section. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was three years younger, so I was probably like 11 but I would watch the way Ryan would just treat. He had leadership qualities. He could shout anything, and these people would just snap to attention, and they just, everything was military. If you messed up, you drop down, and you give fiver until you feel like you've done enough. You get up, and you go run the charts again. If you messed up, you did it again. If you're moving, you slap a mosquito, you're on, on the ground doing five. I'll never forget the presence that Ryan had. But Ryan hated Jeremy. He knew he was apostolic from day one. Ryan was a, a Trinitarian, and so he just instantly held it against him that you're stupid and ignorant. You don't understand the Bible, and you're just, uh, you, I've got nothing good for you. The quicker I can run you off, the better. Some of us have been there. People know who you are, and it's up to you to show them the face that God wants them to see. I'll never forget, I even called my brother uh, this morning and I said, just tell me the story. What happened with you and Ryan? He said, man, he was a jerk. He goes, that guy, he, for no reason, he'd rip on me. 
He'd ridicule me. I believe they were in marching band and throughout the, the band throughout the year together. And, and Ryan was just all about, just on my case, just hated me. And he goes, and then a few years later, Ryan went to church. And Ryan, about five or six years later after he had graduated and was away, he found my brother, and, and, and he comes up to him, and he goes, Hey, Jeremy, I, I just want to come to you. And he was, you know, crying and all, all despaired, and he just said, You know, I don't, I don't know why I did what I did. He just said, I, I simply, I don't understand why I was so mean to you. You were so calm. You never once talked back. You never once gave it back to me and, and, and was spiteful at me. You just took whatever I had to say. And, and whether you liked it or not, you just put on a face that just simply said, I'm going forward. It doesn't matter. And he goes, I, I have no idea why you were like that. And then he began to tell him, but God changed me one night. He goes, I was so stupid to think that I was right. I guess you could call it ignorant at that point because he didn't have knowledge of it, but he used to make fun of Jeremy for the way he lived. But then he said, Jeremy, you were right. Today, he goes to Life Tabernacle in Elkhart, Indiana. His daughter his wife, they've got an amazing testimony about how things have happened and their lives have changed around. And, and the truth is, even this past year at family camp, he was the one making all the promotional videos between uh, sessions to, to tell him what's coming up the rest of the week. It was Ryan that did it. Ryan has got himself in church because Jeremy, knowing it or not, was a gatekeeper to the things of God. I know we can look at Jeremy just a year ago. We could say that guy will never be back in church. That guy will never come back to God. I hope I hit some parents tonight. You're waiting on your child to come back. Some of you might even think, well, I've lost hope. There's no way they've got time. It's, things are happening that are just sliding deeper and deeper. But don't stop guarding the gate. Don't stop keeping it open. Make sure you let them know that God is still real. That there is still a hope for them. That God can change things. Be a gatekeeper. Be a gatekeeper. If you would stand with me tonight. All heads bowed. All eyes closed. You just never know when you need to be a gatekeeper. You need to make sure that your doors are open to people that need a refuge. You need to make sure that you guard the threshold of the bride. And important, most important of all, you need to make sure you are in line with the king and you let his spirit flow because you don't know his plans. And the Bible says, you know, you don't know the plans that I have for you. We don't know what tomorrow might hold. But today, today you can be a gatekeeper for God. As there are some that come hungry, some that say, I don't know what to do next. I'm new to this, or I want an experience like I've had. My question is, where's the church that says, come on? Where's the church? Where's the people that say, I'll stand in the gate? Where's the people that say, I'm the ones that will hold the door open and make sure that you're loved, make sure that you're prayed for, make sure that you're cared for? The Bible, God, uh, Jesus asked, what are the, he was asked, what are the two greatest or what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart. And he goes one step further and he says, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Church, if we're about nothing else, I pray that we're about love.
I pray that we're a place that loves the hurt as much as we were loved. Help love others. Some of you are in this place tonight begging God, would you just show me? Lord, would you just let me see you? And I'm here to say that there are people that are ready to pray with you. Tonight, I'm going to open these altars. I want to open them up to a variety of people. Maybe some of you feel a call to ministry. Maybe some of you feel a call to be a gatekeeper. Maybe some of you are saying, I'm looking for a place of refuge. Let God be the one that judges you, not man. I want to open up these altars. If you've got anything you need from God tonight, I ask you to come. If you see someone standing next to you and they look like God's dealing with them, just ask them to come with you. Pray with them. Show them that this isn't a place of judgment from us, that God can work all things. In Jesus' name, won't you come tonight? In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.